and let's pray again. For God, as we sang this morning, uh, we are not the ones who build your kingdom. You build your kingdom. We receive it. We embrace it. We participate in it. And one of the ways we get to do that this morning is that we give so that this money can go to expand and advance your kingdom in this world. For God, there is no form of hell, no form of evil that can stand against the advancement of your kingdom. So we ask for your kingdom to come here on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. As the trays pass, you probably noticed a new guy up here leading worship, Kip's out of town, and Chase, thank you for coming from Paragul, Paragol, Paragulu, Perig- from Arkansas. <laughs> uh, in all seriousness, Chase, you and I, we've done a few events together, and man, there's an anointing upon your life, so thank you for coming over here to bless us this morning. Uh, we're a week away from Easter, and we've been on a journey now for seven weeks, talking about sin. Uh, and I want to talk a little bit more about it this morning, but Justin Archery has helped put together a great video to kind of show you the adventure we've been on as we anticipate uh, Easter Sunday. So direct your eyes up to the screen, please. Amen. So uh, for about a year and a half, I've wanted to do a series on sin. 
And I've told you over the last few weeks that I'm sure some of you were raised in churches where you heard about sin every single week and about how bad we are, and there wasn't a lot of good news to it. It was just ways of trying to convince you to kind of stay in a straight or narrow or else. And some of us grew up in churches where we never heard about sin. And I've wanted to do a series on sin because the Bible talks about sin over 700 times. Like it's referenced a lot. And we can't afford to ever lose the language of sin. We need it. So we've been on this journey, and what I've tried to do every week is lay before you the good news of sin. Not the good news of sinning, but the good news of what Jesus has done to sin and for sin and for us to bring us out of whatever sin and evil uh, exists in the world. So this week we have a couple of opportunities. Friday night at 6.30, we're going to have a Good Friday service. It's probably been six or seven years since we've had one of these here, but here in this room at 6.30 on Friday night, we're going to have about an hour-long Good Friday service, and would love for you to come and bring some friends. And Sunday morning, we're going to have a, uh, we have a 1015 service, which will be here, but because of uh, how many more folks will be on this campus, we don't have room to fit everybody for one service next week. So we have added a 730 service next Sunday morning. So there'll be a 730 service and also a 1015 service. Uh, Toddler time will only be for the 1015 crowd. All right, keep that in mind. And I also want to encourage you to invite some people next Sunday. And when I encourage you to invite friends, like I know especially in the South where you have churches everywhere, sometimes what we do when it comes to like bring a friend Sunday or invite people is that we call up folks who are fully connected to other churches and try to convince them to like lay off their church for a week and come visit ours. And I'm not that interested in that at all, but I want you to be thinking of people who are in need of a touch of God a touch of grace, someone who maybe they haven't been in church for a while because they've been angry with the church or they've been confused in life, and just invite them. There are 80% of people who are not connected to a church who in a recent survey said they would go to a church if they were invited by someone. So, in fact, at the end of this message, we have a couple of tables that we set up every week. They're there for the prayers of the people. So you're welcome at the end of my sermon to go and write down any request you have. And I invite you, if there is someone that you are inviting, to come to church next Sunday to hear the good news of how Jesus has conquered sin and death. Um, If you want to just write their name down, write an initial, and give us something to pray for. Our staff will take these into our meeting this week. I will scan these to the elders so we can be praying over them uh, this week. So um, let's dive into another sermon uh, that I've been dying to preach for a couple of months in preparation for Easter Sunday. Um, And let me get there by this. Uh, So I've been talking about sin. We've been talking about sin for about six weeks. And one thing I've tried to lay before you as good news is the first time sin is mentioned in the New Testament is in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. And the first mention of sin in the New Testament is not about how sin has come to ruin you. It is about how Jesus came to ruin sin. It's this good news that was pronounced to Joseph that you're going to name your baby Jesus because he has come to take away the sin of the world to forgive the sin of the world. That's really good news. Now, sin destroyed Jesus. The one who came down to this earth, lived a sinless life, loved the unlovable, touched the untouchable. He's the one that performed all these miracles, all these great teachings. He taught us the essence of God's heart. He lived this perfect life and our sins joined together on the cross to weigh him down and to kill him. Now, any church that deals only with sin is going to become a church that's legalistic, judgmental, and they're going to be a fruitless church. But any church that never deals with sin 
is going to become a place that is inclusive without righteousness, that's accepting without any form of holiness, and there'll be some spirituality, but the very heart of God, the very heart of the mission of Jesus will not be there. So whenever we talk about sin, I just ask you, all right, when you hear the word sin, if you were to grab someone in a hallway today, you're in a life group later on, you're at a lunch this week, if somebody were to say what word or image comes to mind when you think of the word sin, what do you think of? What comes to mind? All right, <clears throat> now, you may be thinking right now, dude, you asked me a question, and now, you know, the preacher asked a question. I can't really think of, of an answer. But for those of you who could think of something, you could think of a word, you could think of an image, uh, was it personal? Was it communal? Was it global? Did you think of something that was cosmic, like you thought of spiritual warfare somewhere? Because throughout the Bible, sin, it is so broad because there's a, there are a lot of times throughout the Bible where sin is very personal. Someone has committed an act against God, but then there are a lot of other times where sin is communal. It's a group of people who sinned against the Lord. It's a nation who sinned against the Lord. There are times where evil is talked about in this cosmic kind of way, that there is spiritual warfare going on in ways that we don't fully understand. And then you start reading these places in the New Testament, like James 4, verse 17, that says, anyone who knows the good they ought to do and they don't do it, they sin. So sin becomes about not loving neighbors and not taking care of people. So sin is something that is so broad. So you may be thinking this morning, Josh, please don't try to convince me of more sin in my life because I'm already fully aware of the sin that exists. And I know that. And my point today is not to try to point out more sin in your life. But what I want to do this morning is I want to talk about the seven deadly sins. And I've been excited about this for a couple of months, all right? And my goal today is, I guess my goal is for you to walk out of here and for you to be able to say, you know what? Maybe the seven deadly sins do make sense. Because when you think of seven deadly sins, some of you are already thinking about movies that you've watched or books that you've read. Uh, and I mean, let me just start with this. Do you know what the seven deadly sins are? Let's just name them together, right? Alcohol, drugs, rock and roll music, <clears throat> eating kale. I mean, can you think of other things, you know? Like loving cats more than dogs, cheering for the Yankees. Let's keep this list going, right? Uh, do you even know what the seven deadly sins are? Let me try this. If this morning, if I were to say, pull out your Bibles and turn to the seven deadly sins, where are you going to turn to? Some of you will be like, oh, I'm turning to Proverbs. And some are like, I'm just going to flip in my Bible and make it look like I know where I'm going. <clears throat> because the answer is, <laughs> the Bible doesn't talk about the seven deadly sins in one chapter or in one paragraph. There's really nowhere you turn to to see them. And in just a moment, I want you to see what they are. All right, and what, what, what we're going to do the rest of this sermon. We're a church and we believe in the Bible. We believe the Bible is the inspired word of God. I try to teach here uh, every Sunday. I try to step up here and, and I try to teach us that the Bible is not just something we peek into. It is something we step into. It's inspired by God. It's still happening in our lives. It's, it's this beautiful book. And this morning, we're not going to be opening up the word to really soak in a specific place. But I hope to lay in front of you some stuff that can take you home later to do some more study in your life because all seven words that you're going to see on the screen in just a moment, they are words that are biblical. The Bible addresses them. You can go home and study more about them. Now, 
you may be thinking, if the seven deadly sins aren't talked about, why are we having a whole sermon on it? Let me throw something else out there in front of you. For all you people who were raised in churches of Christ, now hear me carefully because I don't want you to go misquote me on Facebook or something, all right? But if I were to stand up here and say, turn in your Bibles in the New Testament where the five-step plan of salvation is discussed, there's nowhere you're going to be able to turn for that either. Because there's no one place in the book of Acts that talks about hearing, believing, confessing, repenting, and baptism, or all those words are used in the same paragraph or the same chapter. They're all biblical. They're all acts of obedience. All right, And sometimes it's how we read the Bible. Now, why do I think the seven deadly sins are so important to talk about? You may not understand why I want to do this today. Halfway through this sermon, you still may be questioning. Hopefully at the end, you're going to be like, all right, that kind of made sense. So um, let, let's go on the journey. Here's what they are. You can see them on the screen. The seven deadly sins. Pride, envy, anger, sloth, greed or coveting, gluttony, and lust. Now, you've already conquered all these, right? You got them down. There was an artist in 1485, and he painted the seven deadly sins. And uh, what, he, what he did, if you'll go to that next slide, what he did is, um, it's hard for you to see all these little images, but it's, it's like this, these spokes in the wheel. And all the deadly sins are those spokes, or another way to see it is it's like the rays of the sun. And then right in the middle is an image he has that stands for the eye of God. Now, that's can, that can freak you out, right? And there are a couple of different ways to think about this. That you have those seven deadly sins that stand as like the spokes in the wheel or the rays of the sun. And in the middle, are, it's the eye of God. And a couple of ways to think about this. One is that the all-seeing eye of God sees every secret in your life. Like there is nothing you can do that God cannot see. That the seeing eye of God sees it all, every secret, every private thought. But another way to think about it is that the eye of God stands for the heart of God, which is at the, it's at the center of it all. It is this magnetic, magnetic force Attempting to pull you out of whatever those sins are in your life, pulling you away from the heart of God. Um, I'm not going to ask for a, a show of hands because it is a rated R movie, but some of you have seen the movie Seven, right? With Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman. Now, I don't encourage you to go home and watch it because it's dark, it's horrific, but it's a movie that portrays the seven deadly sins. And it portrays them in a way that it's dark, it's horrific, it's bloody. It is, uh, it's a movie that is very suspenseful. It is, uh, I guess a word, a phrase you use, it's spectacularly dreadful to see how the seven deadly sins are portrayed. And you watch that movie, or maybe you've read books that have talked about them, and often it is, it, it comes across as so, um, it's depicted in a way that they're so dark, like they're out there and they're spectacular. But I think at the heart of the seven deadly sins is this. They're so ordinary. And they're not that spectacular. Uh, so why are there seven? So in the fourth century, there's this guy. His name was uh, Avergrius. Avergrius, his friends probably called him E.V., okay? And Avergrius, one day he decided that he was going to do what many other people did back around the fourth century. There are a lot of these folks who got, they were just so, uh, they, they'd been around people too much, and they were jaded about faith and Christianity. So what some of them would do is they would, they would get away from people and they would go out to a desert. They would go into the wilderness for 
for long periods of time, not just months. We're talking maybe years. We're talking maybe 20 years that they would get away and they would go and they would pray and they would seek a bigger vision for God, for the church and for the world. And, and the, the whole goal wasn't just to get away from people. It was to uh, separate themselves from culture and people so that they, they could be alone with God, have a bigger vision of the kingdom. So then at one point, maybe even 20 years later, they could step back into society, having been with God, and the power and authority that was in their ministry was enormous. So this guy got alone in the desert to pray and to seek the Lord, and he wanted this greater vision of God. So he and his friends went away to be with God for a long, extended period of time. And as they got away, they were overwhelmed with the depth of their own sin. So they're in this small community, and as they begin to confess sin, they're fully aware of the sin of their life. And the longer they spent with God, it was like that secret place where sin was knocking at the door. Have you ever, do you ever get in some quiet place, and it's almost like the powers of hell are just knocking at the doors of your heart or, you know, the doors of your mind? And from that came these seven sins that have gone on for, since the 4th century, they've been a part of the church for over 1,500 years where people talk about them, and now movies are made about them, books have been written about them. In fact, hundreds of years after Ava Grius, Thomas Aquinas, what he did is he took the seven and he attempted to separate them into two categories. So you can see these up on the screen. What he did is he had a, a list for the spiritual sins. So there's pride and anger and envy and coveting or what can also be greed and sloth. And then there were the carnal sins, like the sins of the flesh, which was gluttony and lust. Now, <clears throat> follow me just for a moment. All right, do you mind going back to the, the slide just where I have the seven listed? If you, yeah, there we go. All right, follow me just for a moment. Because as you look at that list, these sins are personal, they're individual. And if you look at each one of them for what they are, they seem to be pretty small. And you look at that list and you're like, man, if I sat down with my friends to come up with the list of the seven sins that are wrecking havoc on the world, I think we would come up with a different list. Like what about racism and genocide and, uh, you know, violence that's all over the world, yet they settled on those seven? Because here's the deal when it comes to sin. Oftentimes what we do is we want to keep sin large and global and big and universal and cosmic and keep it out there. So, so we're looking and calling sin and pointing fingers at sin. So if, I, if you were to sit down at a table with friends or your life group today came up and you started thinking, you know what, let's come up with our list. What would be the seven or ten sins that we think are destroying the world? You know, we would come up with things like, I don't know, murderers and dope dealers and cheaters and ISIS and you know, all these other things. But then you look at these seven, which in a way seem to be so small. And I think what Satan and his friends want to do in the lives of Christians is to convince us that sin is out there and it's global and it's what politicians do or it's what the people out there do. Because if we can believe in our hearts that sin is out there and it's not in me, then it can keep the kingdom of God from advancing throughout the world. Because isn't it true, isn't it easier to point out the sins in other people than it is to point out the sin in your own life? It's so much easier. And you look at those seven deadly sins, and I'm not meaning to offend anybody in the room, but let's just be honest. You look up there at those, at the words you see on the screen right now, and are these not the words 
that drive so many commercials you see every week? Are these not the words that are behind so many soap operas and shows that you binge watch on Netflix and, and The Bachelor and billboards? And now there's some of you who are like, man, first he went to Cats and now The Bachelor. This dude's a monster, right? I mean, are these not the things that drive the American economy? And I, I love America and everything America is about, but can you see how these words can penetrate into every facet of life without even recognizing it? I mean, I sit there and I, I look at these words and I'm like, man, there's no mention of alcohol, but there is mention of gluttony. Like there's no mention of murderers, but there's mention of sloth. And don't you love laid back people, right? And sloth is not just being laid back. It's entering into this deep form of laziness where you're no good for the world. And you look up there and I'm like, well, according to that list, like having some fantasy about J-Lo is worse than Hitler or Stalin or a Pharaoh. And I don't think any of us would believe that. All right, so hopefully you're with me so far. There's a guy named Augustine, lived in the fourth century, was a church father. And here's what convicted Augustine to the core. Here's what helped Augustine become a believer in God and want to give his life to the service of God. Because, you know, Augustine was this guy that growing up, and he was a womanizer, had a kid out of wedlock. This is back in the 4th century. This guy, he goes, you can go read stories of all the wild adventures. He often goes into detail about from his youth. But you know what really got him? Here's what, here's what turned him on to God, is that one day he stole some pears from a neighbor's tree. And when he stole those pears, he was convicted to the core. Right? It wasn't all the women he had been with or all these other wild adventures he had been on. It was when he stole some pears, something that seemed so small, yet that small thing opened up his heart and convicted him of the greater sin in his life and turned him to God. Gregory the Great says this when he's referencing the seven uh, deadly sins. He says, they're serious this Seriousness is not so much within themselves, but in their ability to generate even more serious offspring. They are the leaders of the wicked armies. All right, so listen. In, in two minutes, I want to tell you why I think this is so important. Is because the reason these are deadly is not because if you do them, you automatically drop dead. Because all of, I think most of us have engaged in all seven of those in some way. It's not that they lead directly to damnation. It's because when you begin allowing these in your life, they slowly rot the soul. They slowly begin to take over. And they seem so ordinary, but we often fail to see how much they warp our minds and our hearts. They appear as harmless. Yet you know, when they begin to grow, they, they can cause great harm. They, once they get a hold of you, once one of these gets a hold of you, it can become extremely difficult to shake. Once it gets a hold of you, it's difficult for us to even recognize that it's something that stands against God. So you know what we do? We begin calling pride something like self-esteem or confusing it with self-confidence. Or we call gluttony just having a good time with friends. And we begin not seeing these as something that rots the heart or keeps us from the heart of God when they're really something that is so slow, like a yeast, that begins to ruin the heart. One person said this in Harper's Magazine, 
that these sins actually support the global market. It said, you take away the seven deadly sins and the country goes promptly broke. And it's not that the country was founded on these. I just want you to see how easy it is for them to creep their way into every facet of life. Okay, so here's where so many artists, especially medieval artists, went wrong. There were medieval artists and probably even artists uh, recently, like when they draw paintings and stuff on the seven deadly sins, what you see is some big, large man who hasn't shaved in weeks. So gluttony's portrayed something like, you know, he's, he's a big dude who's overweight, he hasn't shaved in weeks, and he wears some shirt that only covers half of his belly, and he has shorts on, and he's holding some bottle of whiskey. And you look at it, and you're like, man, that is so gross. Or there's some painting of envy, and what you have is some skinny woman who looks like she's strung out on heroin, when in actuality, all of these are so seductively attractive. And once they get a hold of your life, it's extremely hard to shake. So what I want you to know is this, what I want you to realize is this, that as God intends to rid the world of sin, it begins with God ridding you of sin. G.K. Chesterton was once asked by this major newspaper to write an article on what is wrong with the world. So they gave him the title. As somebody who often will write for articles or, you know, publications, I've never had somebody write me and give me the title. They gave you the title. Here's what we want you to write on. Not just this theme. Here's the title, What's Wrong with the World? And he wrote a piece that had one word in it. Me. What's wrong with the world? Me. One of the best things the church can do is to teach people that we are sinners. One of the best things the church can do is to teach each other that we're, on this, we're a part of this lifelong learning journey and what it means to be a sinner. And that we come in contact with how good and faithful Jesus is and what he's done for us. And this is where so much of the life of Jesus should resonate with who you are because there's none of those seven sins that you saw up on the screen that Jesus wasn't faced with at some point in his life. I mean, Jesus had a relative who was abused, physically abused and murdered. Jesus was faced so many times in his life where there was unhealthy anger that stared him in the face or forms of greed. or He had prostitutes who washed his feet. There's not a sin you see up there that Jesus didn't face at some point in his life. And this is where places like Hebrews should resonate with our souls that he was tempted just as we were, yet he was without sin. That we have a high priest who can connect with us in every kind of way because Jesus can look you in the face today and say, whatever it is you're struggling with, I've been there. And I'm not just leaving you alone, but I'm here to walk with you. I'm here to take away whatever it is holding you back from the heart of God. And one of the great things about Jesus and what he accomplished on the cross is that he took on the sin of the world and through his blood, Scripture teaches that he purchased your sin, which means that whatever sin you carry in your life has a new owner, and the owner is Jesus. He bought it with his blood. So what you do is you need to give your sin to the rightful owner. He bought it with his own life. So thanks to uh, 
some of our friends from Celebrate Recovery and Dave Hill and a few other people here, they, about five weeks ago, started writing a drama that went along with the series. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to have a few minutes where you're going to see played out in front of you a depiction of what Jesus has done for us. So before we do that, will you just bow your heads where you are? And I invite you to maybe open your hands in your lap, open your hearts where you are. And God, I pray that you will press into my friends in this room how much you desire to see us transformed. God, may we not leave this place today wanting forgiveness but not transformation. Uh, God, uh, help us not to leave this place desiring um, redemption but not Christ-likeness. And Jesus, through your help, help us to take uh, life, sin, and evil in our struggles more seriously. And today, uh, for my friends, I ask that you will open up their eyes and their hearts to see how you have your hands wide open, asking and inviting for us to give you whatever struggles or strongholds may exist. So now, through the power of the resurrected Jesus Christ, break chains, release us from sin, draw us into your life. I am a child of the one true king and I struggle. sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. We fall short because of sin. These sins and troubles in our life cause struggles, but Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Some of our struggles are from being hurt, physical abuse or bullying, the death of a loved one, divorce, sexual abuse, relationship struggles, and bankruptcy. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ, and I struggle. We are weighed down by our struggles, and they keep us from reaching up to the grace that God offers us. Sometimes we struggle to let go of our struggles. Just give me one more drink or one more hit. Look at just a little more pornography or homosexuality.
our hangups keep us burdened down, depression, codependency, stress, pride, trust issues, anger. I am a brother of the one who died to save me, adopted by his blood, shed on the cross for me, and I struggle. We cannot handle these struggles alone. We must put these struggles on the shoulders of one that can carry them and cleanse us from them. We read about Jesus falling below the weight of the cross, but the real burden on Jesus was that he carried all of our sins. He carried all of our struggles to that mountain. We cannot carry these struggles alone. They won't go away on their own. We have a higher power that can help us carry all these struggles. Jesus took them to the cross for us. Sometimes we need support here as well. That's why we're a family here at Sycamore View, and we have a program to support you through whatever you struggle with. Celebrate recovery. I'm a princess because my father is the king of the kings, and I struggle. Remember, Jesus took our struggles to the cross so that God can take broken pieces and turn them into his masterpieces. My chains are gone. I've been set free. I'm a child of the one true king, and I struggle. Shepherds, go ahead and get in your place. For those who are praying to receive people, will you go ahead and move to your place as well? At the end of every message, we give you a, a few different places you can go for prayer, whatever it is you need. We have a couple of tables set up where you can go and write things down. Over to my left and my far, my far left and far right, we have some women who are here to pray with you. We have... Um, a woman in the back and a man and a husband to receive you. We have shepherds up front. And let me just lay a couple of things before you as we sing a couple of songs and enter into a time of prayer. Um, whatever the expression of repentance is in your life, whatever expression of confession, I just want God to believe that expression is true. Because yeah, I think God knows, or God does know when when these expressions of confession or repentance aren't coming from a heart that, that really desires change, God can tell. And I want to offer up just good news to you today because it's what I want to do every week, right? That, and for you to know that sin is real, sin is toxic, sin can destroy, but sin has been defeated. Um, and yeah, I know that Satan and the adversary, he... He still runs wild. He still roams, yet his doom and his eternal fate has already been secured because of what Jesus has done. So let's live these victorious lives with him. Uh, Jim Hinkle may be mentioning this in family news in a few moments, but this week we had three baptisms in this church. Um, 
Zach, Zachary Miller was baptized Tuesday night, Kyle Clinton Wednesday night, and we had Chris, um, Chris Pickens, I get the Pickets and Pickens mixed up all the time, all right? <laughs> Two families placed membership right by each other who have close to identical names. Chris Pickens was baptized. Are any of those here today, show of hands, or anything? I know Kyle usually works on Sunday mornings, but can we just put our hands together and thank God for his work? <laughs> Chase, if you'll come join me on stage, if there's anything you want to bring before this church for a prayer, someone who may want to give their life to Jesus today by confessing him as Lord and being baptized into Christ, Stoney's over here to my right and would love to receive you. I invite you to please take advantage of the tables, take advantage of some place for prayer, release yourself from any embarrassment or fear or anxiety of going there because it may be the exact touch of God that you need in your life. Let's stand together. Let's sing a couple of songs. Refiner's fire, my 